The circumstances may say that it's a good idea. And the crowds may be chanting your name and, and telling you to go for it because it just seems like it's such a perfect thing to do. But is it really a good idea? I'm Pastor Jason Barnett, and this is the Dirt Pastor Podcast. chapter 24, verses 3 through 7. And it reads, Saul came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there, and Saul went in to relieve himself. David and his men were far back in the cave. The men said, This is the day the Lord spoke of, when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands, for you do with us as you wish. For you do with as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Afterward, David was conscious to him for having cut off a corner of his robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lift my hand against him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went his way. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Does anyone here work at a job where you feel like your boss just hates you? No? Okay. Maybe you're a student. As a student, if you go to a class where you just feel like, you know, I just, I just don't think that teacher likes me very much? No? No, no, oh, there you go. Lucy raises hand. Well, actually, um, my youngest sister, one time she walked into an English class in high school. And as you know, it's the very first day of class, and they take a roll call, and the teacher knows the last name. And so she asked, Are you related to Jason and Travis Barnett? And when she said yes, which that was a miracle. When she said yes, that teacher said, Well, that is not a good way to start this class for you. <laughs> Well, if you think you have it rough at your job and your boss doesn't like you, or your teacher doesn't like you in that classroom, understand this. King David definitely found himself working in a hostile work environment. You see, he, we're talking about the David that, that killed Goliath that would later become the king of God's people. But after he, he killed the giant, he ended up going and, 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 serving, and serving as a warrior for the nation, and he, he fought in battles, and he won. He won these mighty victories. And to the point where he was so obedient to God and called, you know, listened to God's voice into the battlefield that, that God just kept raising up his popularity. And then God would eventually have him anointed as a future king of his people. But there was one problem with that. King Saul was still on the throne. And David was not his son of Saul. But Saul, but Saul also suffered from some from terrible, what was dark depressions, and so he would bring in David from the, and have David come play the harp for him. So not only was David this mighty warrior, he just came and he would play the harp for Saul to bring comfort to him. But unfortunately for David, Saul knew that that David was anointed the future king, and he could hear the people chanting David's name. And, and here, David's popularity grows. So this jealousy 
rose up within him. This anger that the lion would not continue through him. So one day, as David is sitting there playing the harp, Saul picks up the spear and just chucks it at his head. And not only does Saul do this once, he does it twice on two different occasions. Saul is a, or David is a much better man than I am. After that first spear, I'm like, oh, no, I'm done. I ain't going back. But David went back. Now, after the second time, he decided not to show up for work the next day. And when he doesn't show up for work the next day, that's when Saul begins to pursue David all over the countryside. He takes the, the most valiant men he can find, and he is determined to hunt down David and David's companions. And this journey of trying to track down David has led, you know, it's kind of, a, we don't stop and think about, you know, the little things that a soldier, this group of traveling soldiers would go through, do we? You know, they're just going on, they're on a search party. They're trying to find David. King, King Saul's out there. He's trying to find David. And just the natural course of life finds him. He has to use the bathroom. He needs to take a potty break. You know, riding up and down on those horses with a camel, that just, that's just not good for his old bladder, so he needs to stop and, and, and use the bathroom. He finds a cave. Because basically, when we use the bathroom, we don't want to do a stop in the public. We want to kind of, you know, get, get separated from everybody, right? So that's what Saul does. He goes into the privacy of this cave. And he's just going in there to relieve himself. He has no clue, though, that David and his men are hiding in this cave. They, they, they've been in there in the dark. And if you've ever been in the cave for long periods of time, remember, your eyes adjust, right? You're able to see somewhat. And that's where David and his men were. They've been hiding in there, and their eyes have adjusted. They, they see, he sees Saul come in, but Saul has no clue that they are there. And let's, let's face it, Saul is in no position to try and defend himself, is he? He is kind of caught unaware that anyone's there, and he, and when you're, especially when you're using the bathroom, you find yourself in a very vulnerable position. And that's where Saul is at. Saul created an opportunity for David to seize what was promised in him. Remember, it was God that told David that, and anointed David as a future king. And here, here Saul was, in this cave right in front of him. No guards were around, because remember, Saul slipped off by himself for a little bit of privacy, and, and Saul has no clue he's there, and he's in a position where he can't even really fight back against David. This seems like a great opportunity. And, and David's men recognize it as that, don't they? They say, can you believe it? This is the day the Lord God was talking about. He has put your enemy right here in front of you. Served him up on a silver platter. And you can do whatever you want with him. <coughs> it seemed that, like divine providence had given David this opportunity. That man of God that said this one, it seems like a good idea. So David, he sneaks out to Saul, and he cuts off a piece of his robe. Keep in mind, David, when he creeps out to Saul, he's not, you know, there's some debate whether Saul was you know, wearing this robe or he had taken it off, but really that debate's irrelevant. What it, what it implies is David has gotten close enough to Saul where he could very easily take the king's life. He was this close. 
but he only chops off his rope. He doesn't kill him, just cuts off his fancy jacket. But immediately as David cuts that, he is filled with guilt. But it says, my God, he says, constant stricken. Uh, literally, his heart attacked him from the guilt of what he had done. He had the opportunity to kill Saul. And from our perspective, he had every right, right? Think about it. This man was trying to kill him. He had thrown his spear at his head twice, and now he's chasing him all over the countryside. And it seems God has delivered him as an opportunity to put an end to all of his worries, all of his trouble, and also to go ahead and begin to take the throne. But simply cutting off a corner of Saul's robe was too much for David's conscience. You see, David chose a bad idea. It looked like a good idea. It looked like it was the way he should go. His friends were chanting, saying, hey, you can go this way. God's giving this opportunity. And examining the situation. Even David was like, hey, this, this looks right. This looks good. But as he gets closer to Saul, he cuts that piece of rope off. And as after he does it, he realizes maybe this was not the good idea I thought it was. This was bad. Because David understood it was not David who placed Saul on the throne. It was not David's decision to put Saul on the throne. How did Saul get the throne? He was anointed by the same God that anointed David the future king. It was God who chose Saul. David understood this. He recognized that, that, he, that since God was the one that put him on the throne, it would have to be God to remove him. At no point does God give David permission to take Saul's life. Matter of fact, that quote where, where David's friends say, uh, I'll put your enemy in your hands if you do whatever you want. You will not find that, that quote to David anywhere in the scriptures. You don't find it. Because God doesn't give David permission to take Saul's life. He simply anoints David as king and says, now you got to wait your turn. No, since, since God was the one that placed Saul on the throne, it would have to be God who removed him, not David. And for David to do it, that would be a bad idea. And not only does David understand that and have a respect for the office of the king, well, respect Saul as a person, he understands that it's about more than the person. He understands that if I take Saul's life, and I establish my kingdom, kingship through violence. I am setting a pattern for those who follow after me. <laughs> if I am disrespectful to this king by taking his life, not only am I being disrespectful to the king, but I am being disrespectful to the ways of God. It had to be God that removed him. Whether, whether, whether Saul was trying to kill him or whether it was out of respect, both, whatever it was, for David, for 
take a step and kill Saul, that would be a bad idea. And that's why his conscience convicts him for just simply cutting off a corner of the road. And so after verses 6, David goes on, he says, The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lift my hand against him, for he is anointed of the Lord. He goes in that big long speech about why he's not doing it. But notice what it says in verse 7. It says, with these words, David rebuked his men. What that implies to me is that David's men did not agree with David's understanding. They're looking at the situation. They're saying, God's placed him right here in front of you. This man is trying to kill you. He's giving you this opportunity. Do it. And David's like, I won't do it. I, I cut off this rope. God's convicted me. And you know why God did it? Because God has put this man on the throne. It's not my job to remove him. And so he, he actually rebukes me because they don't agree. They're like, David, well, if you don't have the stomach to do it, we'll do it for you. You know, in a bunch of warriors like that, that, that had to have been the mentality. Let's put it into this dispute once and for all. We have it right here in our hands. But David rebukes them. He tells them, no, you're not going to do this. Because for you to do this, for you to kill the king, that is a bad idea. It may seem like a good one. But it's disrespectful to the, the office of the kingship. And it's disrespectful to the God who placed the king here. So what does this have to do with you and me? What does this have to do with us? And really the obvious connection that when we look at this passage, we draw from it, it is when God puts somebody in power, it's not our, you know, yet we're supposed to respect them, right? That's the obvious conclusion that everybody I've ever heard preach this passage will talk about. And it's true, the Bible does say we're to respect those in authority over us, right? Doesn't mean we follow them blindly. It's very important that I said, it doesn't mean you don't question them when they're making questionable decisions. And it also doesn't mean that you don't, you don't that you shouldn't let your voice be known. It just means you have to do it in a respectful manner. In a way that honors God and is respectful to those in authority over you. But that's the obvious conclusion we draw from this passage. But I don't think, for us today, I don't think that is the real issue behind it. Now certainly, that, that is the point, that point will connect with what, what I believe the Word is trying to say to us today. But the real issue is about a war that rages in our heart. A war that ravages our minds as we attempt to choose between a, a good idea and a bad idea. I don't know about you, but have you ever wrestled with, okay God, is this the right decision or the wrong decision? God, will you let me know? God, will you give me a sign of some sort to let me know which way I'm supposed to go? And there really is only one way to answer that question for sure. That is, what is your heart telling you? Your heart is not based on the crowd. The, the crowd may chant your name, they may cheer you on, they may even try and push you in a particular decision. They may see the circumstances surrounding your choices. And they may even be declaring a way good for you because that just seems like all the stars have aligned, all the ducks are now in a row. It, it just it seems like that is the logical choice to make. And so the crowd is pushing you to make it. 
But it does not matter what the circumstances are saying or how loudly the crowd is cheering you. They may even say to you, God is showing you this is the way. God told me to tell you. But what does your heart say? Now, when I'm talking about your heart today, I'm not talking about your heart that's enslaved to sin. Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah tells us that our heart is desperately wicked. That means it craves to do acts of wickedness. It craves to do things that are dishonoring to God, disrespectful to the ways of God, disrespectful to the people of God, and disrespectful to those God has placed over us. So I'm not talking, when I say, what does your heart say? I am not talking about that heart. I'm talking about your heart that you have surrendered to Jesus Christ. What is that heart telling you? The heart that, that has been made new through the power of the Holy Spirit, from you finding salvation in Jesus. What is that heart telling you? Not your old broken one, but the new one that Christ has breathed into you. Because while your old heart might tell you to do the things disrespectful, dishonoring to God, when you choose to follow Jesus, that new heart will take you on a path that glorifies God and glorifies and loves your neighbors. Only a surrendered heart to God is sensitive enough to hear the Savior call. Chaos will chant your name, but Christ whispers to your surrendered heart. Letting you know the difference between a good idea and a bad idea. And this is how David was able to remain faithful to God in this moment. When the signs were telling him one thing, when the crowds and his friends were trying to get him to pick the bad idea, David was able to be faithful to God because his heart was sensitive enough, enough to hear the Savior call him. But you say, well, Jason, you cut off Saul's robe and felt guilty. You realize that him feeling guilty is what stopped him from killing Saul? That's what stopped him. That guilt, that conviction of, it, of his heart, that was God grabbing his heart saying, no, don't do this. Stop. That call caught David's attention, and it changed the, the whole outcome of how this event could have played out. If you read the rest of the story, you know Saul's going to die on the battlefield. But it's not going to be David that kills him. It's going to be the Philistines. Now, as a matter of fact, you would think David, when he finds out Saul is dead, you would think he would do a happy dance and he would blow the trumpets in the street. That's not what David does. He sends troops behind enemy lines to get Saul's body to bring it back home so they can mourn over it. David's heart was sensitive enough to hear God calling him. Even though he made, made a mistake, it was sensitive enough to, to, to not allow that mistake to continue to, to corrupt and destroy his life. He was sensitive enough to say, no, my God's telling me to stop now. He's telling me to apologize. He's telling me to put a stop to this violence and to do what he's called me to do. Be respectful of this man. You see, Jesus said, my sheep recognize my voice. And that's evidence. Remember, Jesus, when he, he, after, he, after his resurrection, he appears to Mary Magdalene. And remember, he's kind of disguised himself a little bit, right? 
They think, when Mary looks at him, she thinks he's a gardener. But it's not until Jesus says Mary's name that she recognizes his voice and her eyes are open. She's able to see Jesus standing there before her. She recognized the master's voice. She heard it. Through all of her tears, through all of her sorrows, when Jesus called her name because she belonged to him, she was able to hear him. You see, if your heart belongs to God, you will hear the Savior's call in your life. And if your heart is sensitive enough to hear Christ's voice, you will be able to distinguish between a good idea and a bad idea. Now, I know sometimes the lines will blur, right? Have you ever had a decision where it's like, okay, I have two terrible options here. Or I have two really good ideas here. Which one's the right one, God? And, it's, and, and the lines are blurry. You don't really know. And if you're like me, sometimes you pick the wrong one. And you step in a hornet's nest, right? You think it's a good idea, but then you, you pick it and you find out there's a hornet's nest that was in there, and I stepped in it. And that's not fun. But here's the beautiful thing. If your heart is sensitive enough to hear the Savior's call, if it's sensitive to hear the, God's voice in your life, even when you make a mistake like that, you will hear the Savior calling to you. He will never let you wander so far that you wander away from Him. If your heart is sensitive enough to listen to His voice. Matter of fact, earlier in the Gospel of John, the Apostle reports Jesus saying, The one who belongs to God listens and responds to God's words. You don't listen and respond because you don't belong to God. And Jesus was talking to the Pharisees there. You see, David, he belonged to God. He had spears chucked at his head. He was forced to run from his home. He's running all over the countryside for his life. For, for nothing. He hadn't even done anything wrong. He, and all those emotions, they're swirling in his heart and mind as he's in this cave, as he's crawling towards someone with that knife in his hands. His men are chanting, go for it. This is the opportunity you've been waiting for. Here it is. But God's whisper stopped David from murder. And it convicted David for even harming Saul's robe. And if God can do that in the life of Saul, he can, or in the life of David, then he can do that in your life. He can whisper to where you can hear him. It doesn't matter what your circumstances are. His whisper will catch your attention. Because your heart belongs to him. Do you belong to God? That's the first question you have to ask yourself today. Do you belong to God? Because if your heart is surrendered to him, just like Jesus' words to the Pharisees, if you're surrendered to him, you will hear his whisper above all the noise. It doesn't matter what the circumstances of your life are. It doesn't matter what's happening all around you. You will hear him calling to you. But only if your heart is surrendered to him. Maybe you've picked some bad ideas lately. Or maybe you have a lifetime of picking bad ideas. And maybe right now the Lord is, is drawing up the sensitivity in your heart and saying, Yeah, you know, he's talking about you. Yeah, you know, he just stuck his finger, God just stuck his finger right in that soft spot.
that sensitivity, that, that conviction, that guilt that you are feeling, that is a blessing to you from God. It's not God saying, I want to punish you because of that. It's God saying, I am trying to call you home. I'm trying to get you to stop picking the bad ideas and pick the one good idea, the greatest idea of all. That is to pick following Jesus. Following Jesus and hear, learning to hear his voice, that is the good idea. So that's the good idea that will lead to all the other good ideas. And even when you, when you make a mistake and you choose a bad idea, the grace and the glory of God will take your mistake and he'll, you'll hear his voice and he'll bring you back to the path where he intends you to be. But you have to be sinner enough to hear his voice. This morning we're going we're to close with a song. This is kind of a happy and cheery song. Because so often we hear we talk about <coughs> sin and conviction. We, 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 we hear it talked about from an attitude of fear. That if you don't get right with God, if you don't settle that, that conviction, then you're going to die and go to hell. And that's true. But we never talk about how much of a blessing conviction is. Conviction is a blessing from God. He's not doing it to make you feel guilty. He's not doing it to make you feel ashamed. He is doing it because that is God's way of getting your attention. Your sensitive heart that's able to hear that whisper from him. Even though it might be rough on your feathers, even though it might be making you a little bit a little guilty, a little bit ashamed, he is doing it because he loves you and he wants you to hear his voice and to come home. This message was recorded live at the Greensburg Church of the Nazarene, located at 31 Bluebird Lane in Greensburg, Kentucky. Uh, to learn more about us or to let us know that you were listening, visit www.gbergnaz.com. Special thanks to Buzzsprout for hosting this week's episode. If you want more from the Dirt Path, please like our Facebook page.